podcast ain't played nobody. We're going straight corporate public relations firm. I want to be the PR firm that you hire after you do something horrible in public, and I have to make you look like a good human being. I really feel like this might have been my calling my entire life, or at least how to screw over the media. I'm getting really good at like figuring out how we're terrible in the media, and I just feel like someone should pay me a copious amount of money to show them how to work the media. How's this for an opening ethics mm-hmm. statement? It's good? Good? Sure. <clears throat> Don't you think we would be better served sometime on the dark side? You could tell I... them the numbers things and you could be like you'd be like, go for it on fourth down, you little you little crybabies, and I could be like, Hey, here's how you get away with paying players. This sounds like a one stop shop. I mean, this is a really good service I think we're providing. Please I... give us fifty thousand dollars today. I'm too much of an optimist. I wouldn't be able to pull off dark. Oh, yeah, me too. Um, All right. So here's the deal. Corporate PR firm. All the while, I've carried this little bucket of narrative on the Conference USA's, and I said that they lack identity, differentiating brands, and an overall theme. And then you, right before we go on air, and you guys will be reading this at the SBNations.coms by the time this goes up, but it's still not published yet. You handed me your Conference USA power rankings. Like, and they everybody's ch- going to win the conference. Chonky. They are chonky, Bill. Why you make it such a chonky? Um, okay, did, we uh, we did the ass in last week up to up towards the mid-tier. We've got your Conference USA power rankings. Um, I will say CUSA. I promise not to try and say CUSA. There's a town in Oregon called Coos Bay. It's spelled C-O-O-S. Um Cusa, I like to say to be um, to needle people. I think Cusa is awful. It sounds like fingernails on chalk on a chalkboard. So, um, conference USA power rankings. We'll start there. You made them just. It's just a hunk. It's not a soup. It's just really like two ingredients in a bowl. There are four tiers here. Um, we're gonna do this first, then we'll get into the individual schools. But he, I am excited, Bill. Because I think we have things I can sell people at the top of the heap of Conference USA. We'll get there in a second, okay? Tier four, number fourteen Rice, number thirteen UTSA, number twelve UTEP. Um, all of our darlings, we love you all. Um, I'm defying the numbers by putting UTEP twelve. I I want you all to succeed. You are all my darling little, um, you know, uh, success challenged children. Um, but we've talked about you enough. Tier three. Old Dominion coming off of it. Charlotte trying to build it. And number nine, Western Kentucky trying to... They don't even know what happened. They're still pulling themselves out of the wreckage. Tier two, and this is where we're going to start our jazz. Tier two, the University of Alabama at Birmingham at number eight. Number seven is Middle Tennessee State U. Then that's it. You have six teams. Six teams, almost half the conference in tier one. What are you doing, you knucklehead? That's rhetorical. I have to read the team name first. Number six, Louisiana Tech. Number five, Southern Miss. Number four, FAU. Number three, FIU. Number two, North Texas. Number one, Marshall. Defend this atrocity, and then we're going to get into the show intro. I don't have to defend anything. They're the ones that did it. Like, you try to separate Marshall from North Texas, from FAU to FIU to from Southern Miss, from Louisiana Tech. They're, they're, they're the same damn team. Um, and, then, and then the two de- defending division champions – uh, aren't that far away either. Like this really was like a tier one, tier two, tier six, tier seven kind of situation here. 
Um, but those eight teams, six teams really, but eight if you you know give the, the defending champs some bonus points or whatever. Like th- th- this is going to be a dramatically competitive conference race, I think. Uh, now, I said that Florida Florida Atlantic was going to run away with things last year, and that was clearly incorrect. So what the hell do I know? I said that the AAC might or the ACC last year might not, might only have one national title contender, but might not have a single bad team. So I mean, what the hell do I know? But it, like just in forecasting these uh, conference races, it's really hard to separate those six teams from one another. They're, they've all got uh, like a couple questions to ask. They've all got some great athletes. Um, plus I just had to one up the Mac. I, I, I gave the Mac five tier one teams and said it might be the best title race. Now I raised it. I said six for conference USA and they have the best title race. So now by the time we get to like the pack 12, it's going to be like all 12 are in tier one. Cause I got to keep, you know, one up in myself. Marshall and head North Texas. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. This is podcast name play nobody. It's a college football marriage and numbers words. That's the robot Bill Connolly. You can reach him at SBN underscore Bill C on the Twitter. He is the inventor and proprietor of the SP Plus analytics system and the author of multiple books about the college footballs. Both of them. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38 Godfrey. And ooh, I hate your team. Um, fast intro. Let's just get right back to the conversation. You put Marshall in front of North Texas. You put six teams in tier one. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to create. A, I'm trying to create a moment for the Conference USA here, and you're sure. you're you're blanding everything up. How's that blanding? That, that's like every single week. There's an important game. That's like that's exactly what. If you're being TV right now, I assume they still have a contract next year. I don't know. BN, by the way, he's not saying B letter B letter N. He's saying BN, which is yes. German in its origin. Um, all right, here's where we're gonna start. We're gonna start with Lane. We're not gonna start with Lane because he's Lane. If I'm going to sell Conference USA and this 20-horse race that you've got at the top of it, what I need to do is establish narrative early. Florida Atlantic opens at Ohio State, and then they're home the following week for Central Florida, the Golden Knights. Yes. Um, <laughs> they also have Ball State and Wagner before they start conference play, but you guys get my point. Okay, so we got a two-week chance right there. Yeah. Narrative. Okay. National yeah, they're gonna, attention. Because they lose both of those games with double digits. I mean, shut up, Bill, and let me sell this. Um, when they win one of those games, like we just said they would, okay, we will then have to pair them with. Uh, let's go North Texas right now. Okay. North Texas, who opens, um, it's not as sexy. It's not really that sexy at all, it's but they've got a September 14th game against like a salty Cal team. Okay. Right. And then on September 28th, they play Houston. That's enough to garner some attention. Okay. Right. You staying with me? So they're going to win those sure. games. All right. All right. And then you have your conference favorite Marshall who, um, by the way, high, high ceiling, low, low floor. If you don't read anything else out of Bill's preview, he, you called it the most Marshall team that ever marshaled. Um, so let's see, Marshall, they're going to jump up and they're going to find themselves winning. Oop, I skipped past the schedule. I love Marshall's um, schedule. Like at Boise. At Boise and then They like, could ruin Ohio they, and they, Cincinnati. They, they, but they could ruin the perennial like they could ruin the perennial G5 parade. The, the thing that we, you know, we set our watches by is, you know, is Boise undefeated, is Boise have one loss. They could start that. They could they could grab that attention. <sighs> Not it's gonna be tough. How many of these games are any of those teams actually gonna win? Um, 
I mean, Marshall can beat Ohio and or Cincinnati if we're counting those. But if we're just talking about Boise, that seems like a pretty tall ask. Um, Boise does not have a lot returning, and you have them. Is this just by virtue? Or uh, Sorry, I did it. S&P Plus has them with a win probability of 17% at mm-hmm. Boise. Yeah. Yikes. Well, I mean, Boise is the Alabama of the G5 when it comes to recruiting. They, so, I mean, they. I think they were, if I remember right, I think they return a decent amount of their defense. Obviously not Andy Avalos, but that's not going to hurt their projections. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're freaking Boise. They're still top projected top 25. They're probably going to figure out their quarterback situation because they usually do. Um, so, I mean, I think they're probably in, in, in too, ta- too high a class for anybody in Conference USA. But Marshall's got the athletes to compete at least. All right. I'm gonna, you have to stop writing on the parade at some point. Okay. Hey, the so FAU scares Ohio State and beats Central Florida. All right. Marshall pulls a stunning upset on the road of Boise. No. All right. Now you pepper that in with some North Texas or some UAB. Now we're selling a brand. We're good. I think you could actually like kind of move people into paying attention to conference play. No? Man, you are really quiet this week. Well, I, I I have like a tenth of a voice at this point, so I'm really trying to to measure myself here. But no, the the whole the 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 whole sales point like we're trying too hard because now you're gonna you're gonna set the bar too high, and then when when Marshall is a pretty good team but loses to Boise by 16 points, uh, the Conference USA sucks. Conference USA ha- is a conference this year that is going to have like six to eight teams in that number 60 to 80 range. They're gonna play a bunch mm-hmm. of close games. They usually do anyway especially this year. You're going to play a bunch of close games. There are going to be a bunch of plot twists in the conference race. Everything about Conference USA that's interesting is the conference race itself. They're probably not mm-hmm. going to pull off a whole hell of a lot of big wins here. Um, but you can basically but they need say, separation. Drama. You got drama. They- that's, 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 that's how you sell Conference USA this year. No, but I think I think you have to have if it's just self-contained drama like a Mac race a couple of years ago. I, I I don't think it works. I think well, you have to have one or two gonna, outliers. It's not gonna like I, I'm trying to sell something realistic. What about okay? What about this? What about this? UAB. All right. They don't like they could go undefeated into November. Alabama State, Akron, South Alabama, Western Kentucky, Rice, UTSA, Old Dominion. November second, they go to Tennessee. Yeah. Undefeated, right? Yeah. Sure. I mean, they'll probably, yeah, maybe. Sure. Why not? The uh, lowest win probability on that run, S&P Plus has them under 50% at 42 going to Western Kentucky. I was kind of shocked by that. The rest of it is very, very high. Well, here's where I got to point out where how much how little production UAB returns. Western Kentucky is actually projected ahead of them. Now, that, that's nuts. They, they got they've got Bill Clark, and therefore they're going to overachieve by like 20 spots, and that's fine. Um, but they lose so much of last year's production. Hmm. Okay. <sighs> and Western Kentucky returns almost everybody. I still like that argument. Let's put a flag down for UAB running undefeated through, and then being kind of they're going to have to. Figure out something in a marketing way to get past the whole we're back, we survived Phoenix from the ashes. Like, we're probably all officially over that entering 2019. Although it would be kind of funny if they beat Tennessee as like a Phoenix from the ashes, except it's kind of hard to rub that in the face of Alabama. So (laughs) I'll work on it. We'll workshop that. Um, Okay, top side narrative. You have two situations. You have Lane Kevin, you have Seth Luttrell. They're both situations in which you didn't think they would be coaching here at this point into 2019, but in different, way different circumstances. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Seth Luttrell, you wrote about this in the preview. We talked about this on the show. Probably should be at Kansas State right now. Kansas State did not extend him the courtesy of like t- treating him like a like a 100% whole college football coach and just wanted to sort of needle and nitpick his transition at taking over for Bill Snyder. We've talked about this. You guys know about this. Bottom line was he was not given the kind of carte blanche that you would normally afford a new head coach that you wanted to pay millions of dollars to to take over your program who won not a lot of games last year, regardless of the fact that it's Bill Snyder. So he's still at North Texas. This is a safe bet. We said this we said this during silly season. I said it right after. There are way, way worse situations than falling back on North Texas for yes. a year. Bill, please explain why. Uh, because he's a good coach. I, what, what, you, you teed that up like you wanted me to say, I don't know what direction we're going here. Just that North Texas good. is a good football team. Okay. okay and probably, if you're going to yeah, sit for a year. Yeah. If you're going to sit for a year, uh, based on the, I'll put it this way, based on the <laughs> amount of attention he was able to generate. You all right? You going to die? <laughs> we'll see. Based on the go. amount of attention he was able to generate, he's only twenty three and seventeen. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. yeah, I they, mean that first year they were five and eight. Since then, it, but yeah. right. But my point is this: they went nine and four last year. They weren't really in any kind of like top of the heap G five conversation. Okay, you don't need to be because what he's done in North Texas is is so tremendous, sort of absent of any context. You don't have to compare him to like Cincinnati or Houston or Boise or Central Florida or any of those schools. Um, this guy is going to be sought after at the end of this season, just like he was at, at the end of last season. And so he doesn't come back to North Texas, I think, in the way that people were starting to talk about Neil Brown coming back to Troy, which was like, uh, dude, eventually it's thin, it's thin, it's thin. You're going to you're going to hit that seven and five bump where you lose a lot of luster on your name. It's called the Mark Hudspeth scenario, right? <laughs> um, Seth Luttrell doesn't have that. Now, I would advise getting out this year, but yeah, he's yeah. going to be okay. Yeah, I mean... He's not that far from seven and five this year. Like that's their schedule at SMU, at Cal, at Southern Miss, at Louisiana Tech, um, and Houston at home, Middle Tennessee at home. Like there, there are a lot of pretty safe wins in that schedule. Uh, Abilene Christian, UTSA, Charlotte, UTEP, Rice at UAB, and that's well if you, if you count UAB, if you think that this is kind of a step backwards year for them, then. That's all great, but uh, they're going to have to win some road games here, and that's never a guarantee. I, I basically, at the end of the North Texas preview, I um, I kind of painted a picture. I, I wanted to see if I could kind of worry myself a little bit when it comes to Latrell because, you know, okay. using the Gary Darnell example that I always use where, you know, he was a hot name. He had a bunch of, you know, it seemed like he had a bunch of options. It was His time was coming eventually, and then the window closed, and he never got it back, and – you could easily, if you lose some of those close games in uh, September, you lose to SMU, you lose to Cal, you lose to Houston, you are kind of looking at a six and six, seven and five possibility, uh, and and it's it's not unrealistic because they're gonna they lose a ton, they lose like four amazing playmakers from their defense last year. They still have some. Their offense is going to be really good, but if they do slip up and they go like seven and five, the next year they've got to replace like sixteen uh, senior starters or something crazy. Now he's been recruiting well, uh, signed like twenty three three star guys in this year's class. Like that, if he were to stay there five years, he'd get it back most likely. But um, the window is wide open this year, and if if they don't go like nine and three this fall. They're probably not going nine and three next year. So he might have to wait a couple of years to get it back. And you just never know at that point. 
I think this is a really the whole situation is very interesting to me because we want to we immediately want to talk about a program like North Texas right now in one way, which is coach go, coach not go, right? Real, real caveman simplicity here. But what I see when I look at North Texas is you had a ton of attention around him um, as he started to win. You had a ton of attention around Graham Harrell because he's Graham Harrell. He's gone. You have another guy that comes in. By the way, Mason finds back. So you have another you have another offensive quarter that comes in sort of off another side of a branch of this giant bush of whatever spread. I don't even want to <laughs> – no more words. terms. Just no more words to describe <laughs> this damn thing Goodness. anymore, okay? Um, the new OC, Bodie Reader, he uh, – here's a short thing you should know. He worked at Okie State. How's that? Okay, done. And then um, Eastern Washington. That's a, that's yes, a kind that's of a slam dunk yeah, that's too. Where yeah. he got, that's where he got super pointsy. Um they have something interesting here. And then also, as I am wont to do, because I am sort of, it's my job to establish small and long-term narrative. Uh, there's a couple games I'm really interested in right away. Um, I think he's gone regardless. Let me just go ahead and say that right now. Okay. He's gone regardless and he should be gone and that's fine. I don't want to get into navigating why the G fives gap with the P five is growing. Okay. Whatever. They play a lot of Texas teams this year, Bill. And they have a shot at performing very, very well against Texas teams. And I think that's really important because North Texas, one of my best friends that I went to college with, he transferred to finish his degree at North Texas. And I used to go visit him in Denton Denton, and go out. And, you know, aside from the whole Mean Joe Green thing, this was not a football identity culture at all. And who is the guy? You can probably name it off the top of your head. Who's the high school coach they, they hired that bombed out? Oh, from South Lake Carroll, Todd Dodge. Thank you, Todd Dodge. The Todd Dodge experiment did not work at all. <laughs> just a little, just a little bit of a failure. Yes. Oh my God, it's one of the most, and and nothing against Todd Dodge. It just, oh, holy crap! If you, I mean, it, it, this is interesting, probably just to Texas people, but because they they know immediately, you basically took a hyper successful high school coach at a major Texas program and plugged him in at a low low tier college program, and it just did not translate in any way, shape, or form. What Latrell's been able to do is pretty interesting because he's being able to massage that offense, understand what works with Texas preps, but also recruit really well against yeah. the second the second rank. And so here's this is what I'm getting at. September 7th, they're at SMU. It's a gimme, right? Um, <laughs> you've got UTSA at home. They should win that game. You've got wait, the SMU is a gimme? Win probability of 45%. That's it's a toss-up. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a toss-up, not a gimme. Okay. Oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah, no, I meant to say – sorry, okay. sorry, toss-up. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I meant okay. to say uh, anyway. like a gimme pick. Sorry. Okay. Uh, UTSA, they should win that game, right? Yes. It's, uh, sadly, UTSA things are not going UTSA. Right. Um, Houston, 50-50 shot, right? Yep. They're going to beat Rice. Yep. That's a lot of Texas, and that's a lot of winnable <laughs> Texas. And and really that Houston game, especially because God knows how much we talk about Houston, how much I've written about Houston and their – their mega booster and their desire and Dana Holgerson and they want to be considered, you know, Oh, we'll join the PAC 12, whatever. Just imagine for a second, like you have Seth Luttrell moving on to a P five job, but you also have him moving on in the year in which they beat one, two, three, four Texas schools. <laughs> uh, five. I'm sorry. You had UTEP in there as well. I skipped. Yeah, that's UTEP. technically Texas, isn't it? You have five Texas schools. They would go to a bowl. This doesn't really matter to us because if I just rattle off those teams to you and you're living in Ohio or California, you're okay, whatever. This matters a lot in Texas. This matters a hell of a lot in the Metroplex, okay? They're not going to be as good as TCU, but they're going to be a team to talk about in the Metroplex, which is, if you didn't know, what they call Dallas, Fort Worth, because it's a giant, tangled hellscape. Um, 
this is a rare situation in a G5 where I think he could move on and will move on. And I do think that you've laid a really good blueprint and made a lot of really good connections that aren't inherent to the coach, which is what happens a lot. You just make so-and-so has really turned this place around. So-and-so is really connected with the community. So-and-so and then so-and-so leaves. I think what Latrell's been able to do by virtue of the fact that it, this is Texas, and when you're good in Texas, that the it, it that rising tide floats all boats. He could leave, and North Texas could keep right on going. I really believe that they could be able to recruit that next level and keep keep those kids, the two stars who are thinking about going. I always say Minnesota. I got to start picking on a new school, you <laughs> know, like Indiana, whatever. Okay, the you know the two star that's thinking about going to a school far away or staying at home. This is the old Florida debate. Which brings me to, Bill, the other coaching narrative. <laughs> you have basically said in this preview, you have absolutely no idea what's going to happen to Florida Atlantic and Lane Kiffin. Right. So if I am sitting here right now as we record this and you listen to this in the middle of March and we jump forward nine, ten months and Lane Kiffin is back at USC as head coach <laughs> or Lane Kiffin is in charge of a two and ten football team, I'm going to say we saw it coming either way. Okay, cool. Yeah. This is basically like a, a shot color team for me because I, I start to like I look at what they've got, uh, what they were, what they bring back. Um, you know, pretty good. Like they lose Javon Durani in the uh, receiving core, but they got a lot of talent in the at receiver. Um, I I look at this team and I, and I immediately start to think, okay, like this is absolutely a, a potential t- a conference title winning team here. Like look what they got, but then my shot color goes off because. I'm always wrong about Lane Kiffin. Always. Like, I'm a, I'm a year behind on Lane Kiffin at all times. And so, I, I, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. Like, they're going to start 0-2. They, they could technically, if UCF does something stupid like or crazy, like start Brandon Wimbush, even though he doesn't really fit, and they, they're able to sneak up, get some early points, and, and maybe hold on there. I'm not going to say they're, they'll absolutely lose to UCF, but they're probably going to start 0-2. They'll probably win at Ball State. They'll beat Wagner. Uh, they'll beat Charlotte. So they'll be 3-2, and 4-1, and one, something in that neighborhood. Uh, and then the conference title race starts. They get Middle Tennessee at home. They get Marshall at home. They get FIU at home. Their, their schedule sets up for them to make a run. The only thing preventing me from saying I think this team's going to be quite good and have a really good shot at the conference title is that I'm always wrong about Lane Kiffin. Why do you think that is? <laughs> well, I, I – <sighs> I think it'll be – I think he's building something. If he were to stay at FAU for another five years, when none of us obviously think that's going to happen. But he, he is basically – he's switched gears now from just the kind of patchwork, I'll take all your transfers, I'll take anybody who has who can run pretty fast because I'm going to try to build something interesting right this moment. He's transitioned from that. He still has a couple uh, transfers who are going to be eligible and play a role this year. But now, like, his last recruiting class was mostly freshmen, mostly good freshmen, uh, three-star freshmen. Um so I think he's transitioning to something a little more stable. But so far at FAU, it's just been change, 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 change. You know, uh, he, he's been there uh, two years. In his first two years, he had four coordinators. Now he's got a fifth this year. He kept his OC, Charlie Weiss Jr., who's, whatever, 16 years old. But he got another new – he brought in Glenn Spencer to replace Tony Pecoraro, who somehow didn't work out even though it seemed like he would. Um 
So like that, that's been, uh, there's been upheaval there. He did bring in a ton of transfers, which meant it was a brand new roster in 20, uh, in 2017. And it took him a month to figure things out before they got flying. Then it was like a brand new roster again last year. And it took them a little while and then they never really did get flying. So I think there will be a little more stability moving forward. There's still some seniors that he'll be starting this year, but for the like you start to see that there's a decent base of sophomores and juniors now that he's going to be leaning on. So theoretically now, maybe they become a little more predictable, a little more stable. Um, but also it's I mean, Lane Kiffin's just <laughs> I don't want to say inconsistent. That doesn't feel like the right word, but think back to his USC tenure. For all the problems he had, like he had them after they were tremendous. Um, they were okay, then they were great, then they were mediocre and disappointing. And it's like once you're disappointing, you he he can't motivate you uh, or, or himself or whatever. It's it's a it's just weird. I mean, he's a weird dude, and uh, like there, I I don't know. There's a motivational thing going on there where when he's got it, he's got it, and when he doesn't, he can't fake it. I choose to to call that surprising and um, irreverent instead okay. of un instead of inconsistent. Because yes, you are correct, but. I'll take any sort of interesting thing amongst college coaching that I can get. All right. So, I like a reverend. A thank good. you. Thank you, Lane Kiffin. Harvey Mushman asks a year ago, we thought FAU you could win the opener in Norman. I might have said that. Uh, Harvey goes on since then FAU has totally fallen apart and Singletary entered the draft is the collapse a coaching issue or player <laughs> issue was the house of Kiffin built on sand. <laughs> um, I, I mean, that didn't collapse. They, by the way, this team won five games, not yeah, two. They they did disappoint, uh, and they had a no bunch question. of didn't they? They had a bunch of one score losses. Well, they they got blown out by a twelve one Oklahoma. They got they lost by twenty to a twelve one UCF. They lost by twenty four to a to a nine win Marshall, and then they lost. They barely lost to Louisiana Tech. They barely lost to North Texas. Two two good programs. Mm-hmm. The 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 Indian was disappointing. They uh, well, first of all, they they also crushed Florida International. But the, really, the only truly inexplicably bad result was losing to Charlotte in the finale, which, which meant they missed a bowl. Um, that one was completely unexpected, but they weren't, they weren't that far away from at least being like seven and five or eight and four, which would have been disappointing compared to what expectations were, but not that bad. Was it, so it wasn't built on sand. I like I like the pun that he's got. Oh, I mean, sure. The we beach can, vibe. We go that, was, that. that was good. It was good. Um, no, it was not built on sand. Um, no, I cannot find a, an answer to Harvey's question that that deviates from our usual, which is that like low tier G five, hard to build depth. These things happen. Um, they will be better this year. You have them projected at eight and four. That feels right. Yeah, they're going to beat Central Florida. Sure, we're going to get it going, baby, and lose to Ball State. Wouldn't it be? I don't care about that, but God, wouldn't it be nice if Central Florida lost in September? <laughs> we're not what, recording, right? Whatever. Whatever could you mean by that? Oh, God. Whew. That's going to be the most smoke em if you got a moment for the entire college football media, even people like us who have been tarred and feathered blindly by those idiots. Couldn't be more G5 in the entire sphere of American college football media. I dare somebody. I dare somebody to find someone who cares more about the G5 than we do. We, got, we, we took our ass whooping the same way everybody else did by those idiot zealot fans Oh, man. If UCF just got completely trucked in the first month of the season, I think there would be high fives across the nation. <laughs> and not for the reasons that people think. 
Yeah, just give us a year off. They were just so inhospitable. Next year, uh, McKenzie Milton comes back. We can have a nice comeback story. That's fine. I'm in. But yeah, let's give let's take a year off from UCF here. Let's um, let's see what is their schedule. By the way, not that we're there yet. Um, Remember, Uncle Lane. He can he can cause these kind of problems. FAMU at FAU, Stanford at home at Pitt. All right, one and three start, and then we can just take the year off and then pick up in 2020. Stanford probably gonna screw it up and lose. Yep. Oh, hey, there's UAB. Hey there. Hey there, UAB. Um, they're still good. Well, I, I I mean, I don't think you can automatically say that. They'll, they lose their They got quarter. work to do. I got, they got work to do. Yeah, I'll they lose, like, their top four receivers, almost their entire offensive line, they're almost their entire defensive line, almost their entire linebacking core, their safeties. Um, they have a lot to replace this year. And uh, we just kind of fairly assume that Bill Clark's going to figure it out because this is what Bill mm-hmm. Clark does. But mm-hmm. it, it is a new puzzle, and, and it can it, maybe he gets stumped occasionally. Not I think long-term, I mean, he's recruiting well. Long-term, they're fine, obviously. But there is absolutely potential for a setback year this year. Josh Booker asks, why do I never hear Bill Clark's name thrown around in P5 coaching searches? Am I just missing it and it's not ha- and it's happening, or does he not want to leave? A little bit of both. I think he was definitely um, – I was joking about us running out of like running out of patience on the whole Phoenix rebirth, blah, 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 narrative. That's kind of true, though, on both sides. I think this is – UAB's up. It's on its feet. It's a football program. They're getting facilities. Like, story sort of over in that regard. And I think that you might hear Bill Clark's name moving forward. But he was very, very committed to getting them back to a functional place. Mm-hmm. So that's what probably why you didn't hear it. He is a damn good football coach. Yeah. Definitely defensively. I, I don't know. I look, man, I don't know if anything about the UAB situation translates. It's such an extraordinary thing. Um to have a coach in Division One in FBS, your program is shut down, you're in a high talent area incredibly unique circumstances. I mean, truly a singular experience for what UAB went through dealing with Alabama of all schools that would give a shit. Um, and then you come back and you build this groundswell of support. You're able to recruit with a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, the governor was sort of taken off on how they could recruit and who they could sign and how many they could sign, which is a lot of other schools in that region were grumbling about. Um, yeah. I, Bill Clark is God. If he's able to maintain the next two to three years what he's done in this rebuild i don't i think there's regression to the mean inevitably yeah Um, and and this this is going to be the year from a talent perspective yeah and like you said i mean their schedule still helps out a ton here they like the projected uh rankings of their opponents their s&p plus rankings in 2019 are well they start with fcs uh, low-ranked FCS in Alabama State. Then they play at number 124, at home against 127, at 101, home against 126, at 128, home against 119. So, yeah, they could be extremely mediocre and, and like you said, be 7-0 when, when they go to Tennessee. Um, and then they finish – they still haven't played uh, – in November, they'll also play number 130, UTEP. So um, – their schedule should allow for a soft landing, even if they do step backwards. I mean, S and P has them one hundred hundred sixth and seven and five. So, I mean, they, this should be a nice little bridge year. They get the schedule, and then when they actually start returning a stable uh, roster moving forward, uh, they could probably take on slightly harder schedules. 
Seems fair enough. Uh, we had a question come in late, and so I'll circle back just for a second um, to FAU. FAU in Boca. FIU is in not Boca. Just like West Miami, basically. I thought it had its own town that it was in. We'll circle back. Uh, Dragoon asks, uh, I live just down the road from Boca. Which FAU game is, is must-see in person this year? Well, I, I am biased against the UCF game, not because I just picked FAU to win, but it's. Um, I think you'll get a lot of energy there because yeah. it'll be the first home game of the year. And, and yeah, they're going to go in and treat that as sort of a weird rival whatever. But, um, yeah. yeah. Go to that one. It's going to be hot as hell. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, early September. Yeah, hopefully that's a night game, man. Uh, let's see. Their other home games are Wagner, no, Middle Tennessee. I mean, Mar- if you're if you're interested in the conference race, then Marshall. So Marshall. Yeah, that's my – I'm selling the conference race, so I say Marshall, uh, FAU. Uh, Boca in mid-October should be lovely no matter what time of day. And then, of course, like a month later or a few weeks later, you get FIU at home, which, you know, you always – if you get a chance to go to the Shula Bowl, you've got to do it. Uh, FIU, that- by the way, is technically in Miami. Um, okay. University Park, but technically Miami. Um, yeah, you know, that all feels right. Like, by the way, I'm not uh, advocating against the conference race. I'm trying to sell these guys as per. It, it, it's old pro wrestling sort of logic. You got to sell these guys individually and then get them. At, like, no one's going to care about the big matchup if they individually don't matter yet. And so you, I think we need to have early season fireworks that are positive for half of that top chunk that you gave. So... We need to, end of September, early October, go, wow, man, North Texas. Wow, man, UAB. Wow, man, FAU, in some yeah. combination thereof. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm setting the bar lower. I like I like clearing a lower bar. So does the Conference, U- so does the conference USA. That's the problem. Um, let's go broad scale for a second before we get into the other schools. Our friends at Underdog Dynasty, which, by the way, if you didn't know, that's SB Nation's site for everything that is mm-hmm. Group of Five. Um, American, Conference USA, Sunbelt, even the FCS. Um, you can follow them at Underdog Dynasty. They uh, they asked a pretty good question here. Broad scale, from a job perspective, what's the biggest positive and negative for each conference USA school? So because they're asking this in the entire conference, we'll keep it keep it chippy. Say, that's, like t- that's technically 28 different questions right there. Um, I still believe right off the bat that FIU and FAU are basically part and parcel, so we can address those as, as one. Um, the advantages, of course, recruiting, location, et cetera. The disadvantages, I think, used to be lack of brand awareness, which is getting better, um, and funding. Yeah. Um, Marshall, um, tradition. Yeah. yeah you've got the history, identity, tradition, um, rabid fan base. And you're probably going to be constantly dealing with roster instability because you, well, I don't like I've, Doc Holiday is Marshall to me now, so I kind of take like I guess there yeah. are other ways to compile talent there, but his issue has been like when they fail, it's because he's constantly like he's taking the prep schoolers, he's taking the transfers, he's taking the blue shirts, he's taking the gray shirts, he's taking uh, ri- character risks occasionally, um, and you know what that means is sometimes you look up and you've got nothing but freshmen and sophomores in a given unit, and and so the roster balance at that job has been Herculean, a uh, Herculean task for him, and he's 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 mostly passed and occasionally he hasn't. Um, North Texas, we already kind of talked about it. You can be great in the Metroplex and you can also disappear. Um, I think a gross absence of identity and individual branding. I've never seen a group of graduates of any age care less about football in the state of Texas than North Texas graduates. 
That includes like UTEP and stuff. Um, they do produce a lot of actors and musicians. So. Hey. Uh, Southern Miss, we've definitely gotten into that before. Um, just brutal in terms of finances and vying for mind share in the state of Mississippi and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And everything from, I'm not making jokes here, like the hurricane and tornado issues, like displacing people <laughs> in that community. No, I'm serious. Like no, displacing people in that community on such a ridiculously consistent basis. Like um, the advantage is that you still get to be a D1 FBS school in Mississippi and they produce a lot of talent. Yeah. Um, you're, I mean, another chip on shoulder school that looks good with a chip on its shoulder. Um, and La yeah, tech. Speaking of yeah. the, the beautiful transition. Um, you should be the biggest school in Louisiana that is an LSU. You don't always you don't always follow through on that. Um, the downside is, uh, my I, I don't know. You you're going to disagree with this, but I think the downside is they just haven't done enough to differentiate themselves. We, we, this this is a rehash of last week's of of like, right. can we be consistent? Is being consistent to like a seventy percent level of attention is that good over a stretch of time? Right. Because they have numbers in the long term that everyone's jealous of, but they never have that Western Kentucky moment. Right. This is, um, you know, uh, this reminds me of something I wrote about uh, Auburn in a recent study hall thing. Like they're kind of the example of, would you rather save up all your breaks um, for a couple, for a, for a specific year or a couple of years and, you know, have a couple of amazing runs and then be disappointed a lot of the other time? Or do you just want that nice, clean, smooth, you know, for at Louisiana Tech, like this this nice, smooth eight and four existence uh, yeah. where you're always competitive when you like almost always competitive against SEC teams, but you almost never win them. Uh, and then, you know, you, you, you're just you're more athletic than most of the, your conference USA teams, but you still lose a couple games. So you never win the conference. You're just always pretty good and go to an OK bowl and you look good in that bowl. Um, there are definitely worse lives than that. Uh, it, sometimes that instability is a good thing, though. We've already addressed the bottom guy, so I won't do that. That's UTEP, UTSA and Rice. We beat that to death. Uh, Western Kentucky, I think there's a lot of investment and attention and energy there. The problem is they just do not understand that their floor is actually um, – they think their floor is higher than it, than it is. Um, they, they need to understand who they are and they, these things can fall apart on you faster than you realize. So Charlotte, there's nowhere to go, but up, there's also nowhere to go, but up, yeah. um, ODU a little harder for ODU. Um, I mean, I, I really like where you're positioned geographically in the Newport news area. Um, I don't know as far as a downside goes, nobody, I mean, a lot of people forget that old Dominion's an FBS school. Well, it's still a pretty new development. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of pure downside. I love. I mean, we y'all know this if you listen to the show consistently. I love an ODU situation. Just take the potential to hell with everything else. Make your own tradition, right? Paint your field blue. It's what we love. Um, I think we hit everybody. We did not hit one school. We didn't even talk about one school in this, and that's Middle Tennessee State. Yeah. Uh, what the hell is Middle Tennessee State ever going to do or be? You want to talk about a team that just exists. This is a team that well, I mean, they've had they, a great, consistent coach in Rick Stockstill. Right. They've had great, consistent years. Their fans, I can say this because I live 30 miles up the road. I was on campus to speak to a, uh, a course, a journalism course, like a month ago. Their fans don't give a shit, Bill. And it is really, really disenfranchising. Sure. If you're if you're trying to generate anything with athletics at Middle Tennessee State, because they have good football, they have good basketball, and man, nobody cares. God, <laughs> yeah, and I, it's a I big. Mean, by the way, y'all, it's a big school. 
Yeah, I don't know how you fix that issue, but I mean, you got to be dynamic. I, I, I mean, they. Let me, I'm pulling up their record. They, they like they, they've gotten high caliber transfers. They've beaten. They've won uh, some pretty big. Let's see. They didn't win in last year. They played Kentucky pretty well last year. 2017, they beat Syracuse in 2017. 2016, uh, oh yeah, 2016 is the year they beat. They won at Missouri. I mean, they've they've won games. They've done well for themselves. Obviously, they've also you know failed to win a conference title. I get that, um, but they showed enough potential to get a weird call up to Conference USA because of you know potential and their proximity to. Nashville, I guess. And then they've uh, acquitted themselves fine. They moved up to Conference USA. They've been bowl eligible every single year. They won a division last year. I, I really, I mean, being dynamic, like, sure, I guess you can hire Lane Kiffin next time he goes to a P5 school and then gets fired. Um, but they have, cre- he's created a program out of nothing. And if you don't care, you don't care, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you, you try to aim and go dynamic and get like a Tim Brewster type or whatever. That's great. You're probably going to lose a lot of games. I just feel like they're asleep. Honestly, this may be I mean, the, the year. I don't know. We say this every year too. I mean, about the, fan, the fan base might be asleep, but I mean, Miltis, he just won their damn division, came within two points of a conference title. They beat Missouri two years ago. They beat Syracuse uh, one season ago. Like they, they've done a lot. They've done a ton. Yeah. But I don't know what you do, and this is this is the core of the Conference USA problem. When I think about Conference USA, I do think about this school because they're so close to me. Um, you know, it's funny is like I'm 60 miles south of Western Kentucky, who went about it in a completely different fashion, kind of sold their soul for some of that success that they had, but then you know they, they might they be crashed. paying for it for the next couple of years. Right. I don't know what I don't know what's better because we criticize Western Kentucky too for not selling out their stadium when they hosted the conference title game, it's just hard to build these traditions in. And sometimes I really do feel like, and this is going to bridge us into what don't get too excited. We're talking about Podsville. Okay. But when you, when you compare conference USA and you compare Sunbelt, I just think that for whatever reason, decades of history or geography or quirks of history or whatever, by and large, the Sunbelt has more community based, I stronger, individual identity programs you know and they imported some recently right app and georgia southern but i think by and large you go to louisiana lafayette and they have more energy and passion and identity than half of the schools in the conference if not more deny that yeah and that's the same can be said for arkansas state you know the same can be said for a lot of these schools and so this is you know all joking aside, this is what you have to combat at at the conference level. You have to build locally and 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 create find those top programs for your football for your football for the next decade. Find five of them. They've got a brand as hard as they can locally, and then you have to get some sort of dynamic between these schools as you get into conference play. If you truly want to stand out more, that's what you have to do, and they've never done it. So. That's why I am critical. I know Middle Tennessee State plays great football. I know that there are great football games that occur between FAU and you know Marshall in November. It's just they they do need to do more than than what's on the what you know the football requirements. They have to because they're the ones they're the ones with the shaky television revenue more than anybody. We make Pac-12 jokes, but like Conference USA really could dissolve pretty quickly. 
in the next in the next shift. I would I would really doubt that these teams are all together in any kind of assemblage in ten years. Yeah, no, I mean I this actually tees up a Reddit question if that's what you were going for. Go for it. Our friend Cockadoodle Boom asks Hey y'all, started. Uh, I think I have a compelling idea for handling a possible Sunbelt Conference USA merger, one of our pet topics. Yay, yay. Uh, to start, we split our now 24 teams into four pods of six. Um, he, he lists them out. The, the pods themselves are not all that important, to, uh, but they are. There's the Texas one, the Lone Star pod, he says. Uh, Texas State, North Texas, UTSA, Rice, UTEP, and Arkansas State. Um, Golf Pod, ULL, ULM, Louisiana Tech, Troy, South Alabama, Southern Miss. The Mountain Pod, Appalachian State, Charlotte, ODU, Marshall, Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee. And the Southeast Pod, come on, you got a better name than that. Sunshine Pod or something. Uh, Coastal Carolina, UAB, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, FAU, FIU. Um, but the whole idea here is four pods of six teams. Now, here, here's was where. This, and what was the name of this guy? Uh, Cockadoodle Boom. Okay, because Maverick Cassidy on Twitter, are you the same person? Um, he said, here's my plan to merge CUSA and Sunbelt, split 24 teams into four pods yeah, with six teams it. in each pod. Okay. Yeah. I decided to use the Pac-12 pod model because I wanted to keep the schools in the same state together. Yeah. Okay. So um, basically, here's his here's his idea. And, I, and of course, this gets my attention. Uh, every year, each pod is paired up to create a pseudo 12-team division. So this is kind of what the WAC did back in the 16-team WAC days where he's basically saying like, you know, the Lone Star pod and the Gulf pod will, will be paired together one year, and then the next year it'll be Lone Star and Southeast or whatever. Um, so his idea is that you start by playing the five other teams in your pod. Um, so Texas State, North Texas, UTSA, Rice, UTEP, and Arkansas State all play each other. And from there, you end up with a, a top, with a five-team standings. Uh, you then, the top three teams, or sorry, six-team standings for each, uh, the top three teams will then play the top three teams from that other pod that they're paired with. Uh, the bottom three teams will play the bottom three. So everybody gets eight games at that point. Um, from there, you take the two teams with the best pod records because, I mean, I, I, I mean, they, they would, you'd have to come up with a really strange example. I don't even know if it's possible to come up with an No, I guess it is possible where you would have – two teams tied for first that hadn't played each other, but it'd be really, really hard to, uh, at that point you probably have a, a champion from each pod and then you play your conference title game based on that. So it's kind of a rotating thing. Um, I think you could make the case that instead of rotating the pods, you just have this whole, this, uh, Texas pod versus the Louisiana Southern Miss pod every time. And you have the, the North Carolina based pod versus the Georgia and Florida based pod every time. But that's the general idea. You play your five pod d- division opponents. Uh, you your top three then plays the top three from this other group, and you create a pod champion at that point. Everybody's played eight games. Don't hate it. Uh, I'm trying to shoot some holes in it. Um, so you don't want the pod divisions to rotate. I think you could make that from a geography standpoint, you could make the case that they don't need to. Cause then you would end up like with, you could end up with a weird situation where like rice is playing Georgia, Southern Georgia state and coastal Carolina or something at the end of the year. And that's, I mean, that's just a little geographically odd. Um, I don't know if they would hate but, that. Yeah. Well, and if, it's not, it's not the whack where like rice would be playing Fresno state and Hawaii or something. Obviously it, the flights aren't that bad. Here's what this is. This thing is banking on is getting the 
getting the pods right because that's the biggest thing because what right. you're really doing at this point with this many teams is you're selling you're really selling those pods yes so real quick you have the list in front of you yes all right if i am louisiana lafayette <laughs> who am i playing year in and year out you are if you're louisiana lafayette you are thrilled because you're playing not only ulm you're playing louisiana tech you're playing southern miss you're playing troy and you're playing south alabama the okay. golf pod is pretty much perfect. Yeah, that's pretty. That's, that's, that is pretty good. Um, all right, if I'm App, who am I playing every single year? You're playing Charlotte, so in state. You're playing Old Dominion from a border state. You're playing Marshall, which whatever. Uh, right. you're, you're playing. Then you're playing Western Kentucky and Middle Tennessee, who are who have to be kind of joined together. Um, so like not terrible. You're not playing Coastal. He has Coastal in uh, you know because they're in South Carolina. You have, First uh, rivalry game lost is App and Georgia Southern. I'm just point that out. Happened. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's really only been a rivalry game for like three years. But uh, oh no, it has been a oh, pretty no. good. Well, they they weren't in the same conference, were or were they? Um, I don't know. They call my dad and ask, but they they don't like each other. Well, I mean, that's great. I mean, I'm no. I mean, they don't like each other predating them being the right. FBS right. Right. Yeah, that's fine. Um, um chances okay. are they'll be in the top three of their their associated pods so they'll still play each other each year but they wouldn't be guaranteed to play each other each year yeah that's that's fine okay all right uh if i'm georgia southern who am i playing every single year well georgia state first of all um which is now the real team they hate the most even though they don't <laughs> want to admit it i got some serious uh, issues going on there fau and fiu so you uh, know recruiting down in miami um coastal well, okay and, and then the one the one team that doesn't necessarily have a perfect home here, which is UAB. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. UAB is yeah, in wait, that pod with that, the Georgia and the Florida schools, which is yeah. That's quite I'm just right. going to point out right now that's fatal to take Troy and USA away from UAB. You can't. You guys, are, you have to re, redo Troy it. And, well, yeah. I mean, they're they're not together now, but <laughs> so I mean. No, but I'm saying if you're if you're bringing everyone in and you're joining them, right. and then you have the state of Alabama split, it's not going to work. Yeah, I don't see it. Like I'm I'm circling through options here. I don't know if there's another option. Um, I mean, Marshall's a little bit of a wild card, but they you still, know who would object to that better the most? with App State than anybody else. It, it's the other two Alabama schools that want UAB. Right, but they're such. That's such a perfect Troy and South Alabama with Southern Miss, Louisiana Tech, ULL, and ULM. It's hard to. That's that's pretty good. Um, and so you'd you. have to like take out UAB and put or take out Southern Miss for UAB or something, and that makes things weird too. Like, like that's the um, that's the one area that that could be improved. I don't know how to improve it. It's close. I, I, I'm only playing devil's advocate just because. No, I mean, it's UAB's oddly paired, but if, yes. they're, if they're the only one, then screw it, you know. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I really do feel like, I mean, just having spoken to people at USA and Troy, they really want that game. Especially if every other state is going to be conjoined, because that's really what you're selling a lot of these programs right. on, a lot of whom are state schools, is a better community overall. Which I get, like I would, I would feel the same way. Huh. If I okay, was, how about yeah. this? Okay, we got our mountain. By the way, Louisiana our... Tech's going to object to all this because they oh, don't yeah. want to play. The but Louisiana but screw State. them! I love that they have to. I uh, love you guys. Um, so here's another option for the mountain and southeast pods, since I kind of since those are kind of the eastern portion of okay. the conference. Um, you could almost split this up into rural and urban. So this still doesn't. Oh boy. 
this still doesn't like do the Troy South Alabama thing, but you would pair UAB with Charlotte, uh, FAU and FIU. So that's four. Um, Old Dominion is in Norfolk. Uh, I don't know. Then you have to go ahead. Then you'd have to count Middle Tennessee as Nashville or something. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and stop. So it's not quite right. Yeah. Uh, does MTSU still get to play Western Kentucky? Yes, yes, they are in the same pod, and the two of them are in the pod with Marshall, which I think makes sense too. Yeah, that does. I mean, Marshall is a couple hours east of Lexington, so right. Um, if it helps, how many teams total do we have right now? Twenty four. Twenty four. Hmm. I was going to advocate for expanding. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good number. Yeah, 24 is a really nice number, actually. Um, and then UTEP is, man, that state line is, that's hilarious. Just barely being in the state of Texas is well, going to save them. Yeah, so and I grief. love, um, like, the long really, you throw New clear. Mexico State in there, and it fits right. pretty well. Yeah. No, um, I love that with the Lone Star Pod, like it's it's five Texas schools, and we're just like Arkansas just remains honorary Texas. Um, no, Southwest homage there. Yep, nobody. Would so is that where Arkansas, Arkansas State is stuck? Yes, they're in the Texas. I think pod. they'd be fine with that. Oh yeah, honestly. they'd be totally fine with that. Um, the other option Ar- there is to to throw in one of the Louisiana schools, and that doesn't work. <laughs> well, Louisiana Tech, that that's Louisiana Tech's out right there, I guess. But no, screw them. Uh, Southern Miss is going to want to be associated with the Louisiana schools, so that works. Yep. Um, no, you this know, is as you, UAB and Troy and South Alabama are the only ones that aren't perfect in this. I don't know, man. Um, how often could they play each other if they weren't in the same pod? If they were – oh, UAB and Troy and South Alabama, only like if you have the rotating pod pairings where like the top three from Lone Star play the top three from Mountain and then the Gulf and then Southeast, like then you could have a rotating basis. But even then, it'd be like you'd have to be in the same half of the pod. So it could be that they don't play very often. Okay. That's the only downside I see right now. Yeah. Um, I would say that you want the rotation on the pods, which ones are across from one another. So you're so you're talking about the four pod winners basically playing a playoff. Well, not exactly. So you, the top three from if you you it's it's like an extended playoff because the top three from one play the top three from another, but it produces one champion per pod. Oh no 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 per per, per side of the per bracket pairing. Yes. Okay. All right. I was going to say, you might as well just go ahead and do like a, a every pod winner, just yeah, for <laughs> semifinal. Because, I mean, come on. How is this going to affect a larger picture? It's really not. I think that's a good thing. Um, although it does, it does, yeah, see, this is where in real time I'm contradicting myself because this <laughs> is going to go to further the argument that they should just go ahead and be separate anyway. They don't belong in the, in the larger actual real playoff race. And I don't want to contribute to any of that shit. No, no, no. Um, I think this this is a good way of basically making sure that the Conference USA champion has the, or the Conference Belt USA Sun champion um, has the best possible strength of schedule, the best possible resume for a G5 bid, uh, the G5's uh, New Year's Six bid, uh, or, you know, in, in the perfect future where we have an 18 playoff and a G5 spot gets in there. Technically, like if UAB makes the 
conference title. If, if UAB wins the Conference USA, that means they'll have beaten Georgia Southern and two Miami schools, which whatever. But then they'll have also beaten probably App State and Marshall and either Middle Tennessee or Western. And then they'll have also beaten uh, whoever, North Texas or Southern Miss or Louisiana Tech or whatever, or Troy. Um, like that's a – that's about as good a resume as you could possibly ask for from this kind of conference. And so if you get through all that and you're 13 and 0, that's not bad. Or 14 and 0. What are we uh, calling this thing? Cusa belt. I have no idea. The great, the great sun American. conference. The sun, Well, no, there's a, there's an Atlantic sun conference in basketball. Um, the great American South. The <laughs> well, that's right. South. You have to have like American or something in, in America South belt. Uh, Metro belt. conference. Oh wait, that doesn't work. Um, Ray Calm, I don't care. Oh, that would be now. You can't have that without Vanderbilt will miss. Um Cyrus Smith asks, uh which CUS, CUSA team, I'm just gonna use every iteration I can, which CUSA team has the best chance at making an NY six this season? Uh I don't think any have a good chance. Uh yeah, I mean Marshall, I like their schedule, but I like it from a mid major perspective. They don't they they wouldn't have like Boise State would be the closest thing to a P five scout that they have. Uh, and we know how that works. That's probably well. I mean, if they go thirteen, I mean, I guess it's FAU just because of the potential. But none right. of us think that they're going to do it. Yeah, I mean, North Texas does get uh, Cal and an honorary P five Houston, I guess. So that wouldn't be bad. It wouldn't um, be. It wouldn't be impossible. It would be next to impossible. But I mean, I don't know what you'd rather have that situation, or if you're if you're FAU going like, yeah, we could totally make the playoff. All we have to do is, or we could make the New Year Six. All we have to do is beat, you know. Ohio State and UCF in back-to-back weeks, and then run the table. Well, really, I mean, if if you're if you're just thinking New Year's Six, then uh, if you as long as you go one and one in those games, you're probably in good shape. But uh, it's possible, yeah, possible. I don't even have a New Year's Six pick yet for the G five. Um, yeah, we didn't, we're, we're yeah, it's no, way too early in this process. Right, we, we know how this preview process works for me. I don't have opinions about things that actually matter until like June. So. Uh, we're, we're stuck talking about Conference USA, or you're stuck listening to us talk about Conference USA, I should say. This is true, Bill. We're going to transition on that note to general questions. As always, you can find us on Twitter at uh, hashtag AskPAPN, hashtag AskPAPN, not at. And then you can find us on R over on the Reddit backslash C. Uh, ooh, I almost, I almost, I just stand for RCFB because I said it at work this morning. It's R backslash P-A-P-N. So sorry. Although our friends at RCFB are great. Yes. Um, Dan asks, Dan Klobuchar, do you see any conferences copying the WWE model for distribution anytime soon? Primetime events only on TV, but other games and programs streaming. Maybe not exclusively, but as an option for cord cutters. Well, Dan, um, if you didn't know and you don't like pro wrestling, so what the WWE did a couple years ago was they noticed that pay-per-view markets were declining drastically in the cord cutting era because you'd have to have a, a service provider, a traditional one. And then in pro wrestling's case, once a month, you would pay anywhere from 29 to $59 for an event. And it was appointment viewing and the whole model just felt outdated. So what they did was they said here for nine 95 a month, you get a ton of programming, everything except what airs on, on our cable networks. And you even get that three weeks later in like the archives. But once a month, again, $9.95 a month, you get those old $30, $40, $50 pay-per-views for free. And so that's how they sold the consistency of – I mean, it's basically like a Spotify type of Netflix type of model. Um, There's a lot of things you can't compare between the two entertainment entities. 
Um, first party rights are tied up for a pretty long time through the conference networks. So to answer your question right away, Dan, they are, they are doing this right now in sort of a yes and no way. Right. They are creating content for what I, I still believe ESPN will eventually have a Netflix app that they just completely sever all relationships with, with terrestrial providers, you know, like charter or time Warner cable, or whatever it is that you have. And you'll just be able to pay $19 a month for ESPN. I still believe that'll happen. Yeah. It just won't happen where you'll have like the Pac-12, even though they're the ones who could do it, or or you know Conference USA. Um, it will be interesting to see, and if you're curious about what's going to happen in realignment in the next three to five weeks, you're going to see what Apple is doing with television, <laughs> and if Prime goes with more live content to combat that you're going to see a much wider pool of suitors for rights deals in the next go-round. Just keep that in mind. And that will destabilize the market and create some interesting things that we cannot even predict at the moment. So cheer for chaos. (laughs) Always. Uh, Where did the question I was going to ask go? Crap. Ben Harold asks, yep, while Bill looks for his question, what are the chances Mizzou is 8-0 heading into the Georgia game? <laughs> also, can we get a live PAPN in Columbia the week of the Missouri Ole Miss game? That's right. Homer, um, that, that's the Homer cast right there, baby. Um, I don't really – that would be the, the shittiest Homer cast ever. Oh, that I don't was, even know. That, wait, that I couldn't would, even name be, the starting Hold on. No, no, no. Never mind Missouri Ole Miss. Uh, the Homer cast is Missouri-Wyoming in week one. Hell yeah! Um, so Missouri's schedule – so now I have to look this up instead of looking for my question. Missouri schedule. Eight no a- going into the Georgia game. Just say yes, baby. Well, of course. Uh, at Wyoming, West Virginia oh, at home, SEMO, South Carolina at home, Troy at home, Ole Miss at home. God, I hate this schedule so much. Then at Why? Vanderbilt and at Kentucky. Um, I, <laughs> I mean, they could, depending on what con- Kentucky has to offer, if they do step backwards or if they don't. Uh, it is possible that they would be favored in all eight of those games. I will say that. Um, like South Carolina and Kentucky and South Carolina, South Carolina and Kentucky will be pretty close to toss-ups. Troy and Wyoming are obviously never going to be comfortable. West Virginia might not step backwards that much. So it's I, I would say like the odds aren't great. They're probably going to lose to at least one of those teams, maybe two. Um, but it's they will be favored in either seven or eight of those games. So – um, decent odds there. Uh, you find your guy? No, no, because I had to answer that damn question. Uh, let's see. Oh, okay, here it is. Uh, Jared Colville, J. Colville, twelve. Uh, I think. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I think there's a hard cap at nine wins for A and M next year. In the history of S and P, what's the most difficult schedule a team has ever played, and who does S and P say is the best three loss team ever? I'm going to focus on the difficult uh, schedule part because I, I pulled this up to. To refer to. Okay. So I do have strength of schedule ratings going back to 05. I don't have them before that, but a quick refresher if you don't follow, if you didn't follow during the season. Um, my strength of schedule ratings are based on what would the, how would the average top five team fare against your schedule? Like if they played all of your games against your opponents like 12, uh, 12 million times, what, what would their average win percentage be? Uh, I use top five. You can, that's such a, your taste may vary kind of mileage may vary situation. Um, But based on those uh, criteria, the uh, first of all, the 10 hardest schedules going back to 05, Auburn has had four of them. (laughs) 
2014, wow. 2018, 2017, and 2010. Uh, they, they were all Auburn. And uh, the fact that they went 14 and 0 in 2010, uh, winning every game by like a point or whatever, is still just a remarkable achievement. The hardest schedule, however, uh, by these criteria, was LSU last year. Really? So to, re- to review Louisiana State's schedule last year, Miami, who was top 30, I believe, uh, Southeast Louisiana, whatever, at Auburn, who was top 10. Louisiana Tech, which was whatever, uh, top six, top, top 70, I think. Uh, Ole Miss at home. Ole Miss was top 40 or close to it. At Florida, Florida was top 10. Georgia at home, Georgia was top 10. Mississippi State at home, Mississippi State was top 10 or 12. Uh, Alabama at home, number one. Uh, at Arkansas, whatever. Rice, whatever. At A&M, A&M was top 15. And, and Central Florida in a bowl, which was top 20. So... That's a lot of really good teams right there, and that actually topped any of Auburn's schedules. Even with Selah and Rice, it still topped any of those schedules. Basically, it said that the average top five team would have finished with a seven a 750 win percentage against LSU's schedule, which would be right at like 9-3, and 10-3, and three, it, right in that neighborhood, which LSU went 10-3. and three. So um, that is why in their updated S&P Plus rankings, they were fifth because they, they performed like an average top five team, I guess. Uh, the rest of the top 10, uh, 2014 Auburn was number two. I got to look this one up. Number three, the only non-SEC team on the list was 2010 Oregon State. What? So 2010 Oregon State played. Oh, God. Oh, God, that's right. Okay, so 2010 Oregon State played 13-0 TCU in Arlington, 7-6 and Boy- uh, Louisville, 12-1 and Boise State, uh, Arizona State and Arizona both and, and Washington were all around six and six, and then Cal and UCLA were right around that too. Uh, but then they finished with Stanford, uh, USC at home uh, at twelve and one Stanford, Oregon twelve and one Oregon to finish up. So they played a thirteen and zero team and three twelve and one teams plus one two three four five other bowl teams. Not bad. So basically, like using my criteria, it's basically saying that even though there was some cake on that schedule, playing that many awesome teams means even a really good team would have lost a couple times at least. They went five and seven, by the way. I did not expect 2010 Oregon State. No. But okay, yeah, no, against teams that <laughs> against teams that weren't 12 and one or 13 and zero, they went a, a respectable five and three. I'm just gonna wait on the USC questions just a little bit longer. Yeah, okay? let's. Well, we can we can we can put like a we can we can hit pause on USC questions for a week if we really want um, to. I, I don't know, man. After yesterday, um, David asks, uh, "How long will it take to fix Miami's offense, and will it be enough time for Manny?" It'll be enough time for Manny. Yeah, I mean, why not? It, all you need is a quarterback. How hard is that, right? Just crap one out real fast. Um, no, I think the clock reset completely just because oh, he yeah. took over and he was a DC. I mean, yeah. if it didn't, yeah. then you don't take that job. Um. Hmm. Oh, there was a Bill Clark. Uh, let me find because I just want to give the attribution real fast. Since since we are at all things, um, Conference USA this week. Uh, take a knee, which is at CFB Manifesto said, "Who's more likely to move up to a bigger job in 2020, Kiffin or Clark?" Um, the answer is Seth Luttrell, but um, <laughs> Kiffin probably. Yeah. And I don't feel good about either. So take that for what it's worth. I don't feel, I'm sorry. I don't feel good about either moving up to a P5 after this year. Got to be clear with these things. I'm going to show up on Reddit talking some bullshit. Um, 
Here, um, we got a, we have a cranky Tennessee question on, on Go. Telefino uh, says, why is Nebraska widely considered to be a quote-unquote sleeping giant on a national or at least consistent top 15 scale, but the usual opinion about Tennessee is, quote, just be happy if you can go eight and four regularly, you will never be on the level of Auburn, LSU, Florida. The 90s are over, despite, one, both programs having relatively little success since the 90s, two, better facilities, three, larger stadium, four, more desirable city to live in with nicer weather, five, larger fan base, six, significantly higher athletic department budget, seven, located in a spot with close, easy access to top recruits from Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and the Carolinas. Okay, um, okay. So number one, this thing is a wash in generality. This is, a, I know, this is a, this is a, a, a stair step kind of thing. Nobody's telling Tennessee to just be happy if you can go eight and four regularly. It's they're telling Tennessee to go eight and four regularly first, and then kind of reassess. Um, also, I live in Tennessee. No one is telling them to be happy with anything right now. <laughs> well, yeah, that everyone's too. no. I've never everyone's I, been setting themselves on fire like a, like a psychopath for a decade now. The, the similarities that these two teams have is that they both got really mad. Uh, they they both got tired of going nine and four, and uh, wanted more. And Tennessee, like, I mean, I yes, I understand. There's more to it than that, but that generally speaking, they uh, the bar was too high, and they fired a good coach after. Um, you know, one basically. Well, in Tennessee's case, the the most hilariously unlucky five and seven season, or whatever it was, when they fired, um, um, oh my God, Fulmer, Jesus. Um, you okay. <clears throat> I'm I'm I think I'm I got allergy problems here. Um, robot break. Anyway, um, Tennessee sent Fulmer away and has been just uh, you know listless for a decade. Nebraska. Well, to sent- their credit, they did have Conference USA's most volatile coach there for a year, which they thought they were going to have for a decade. Yeah, um, and meanwhile, as we've discussed many times, Nebraska got rid of Bo Pelini and hired opposite Bo or like uh, Bizarro Bo Pelini and uh, suddenly stunk. Um, make good hires. <laughs> And, and, and I mean, that's all that these programs are missing. I, I don't, I don't, I, this is a, a lot of generalities. And I, I know that when you make generalities, you make them because of things you've heard. So I don't want to tell, uh, Helifino yeah. that he hasn't heard the things that he's clearly heard. That's, that's fine. But no, like, I don't think Nebraska is widely considered to be a quote unquote sleeping giant any more than Tennessee is. Um, the one thing they, the one advantage they do have obviously is that the big 10 West is not the sec East or the sec West. Um, like I'm, I'm building up that conference race. I'm really excited about it this year because they might have a bunch of top 30 teams. Uh, whereas, you know, Tennessee is with top five Georgia and top 10 Florida and p- potentially top 20 uh, Missouri and South Carolina. Like the, it, it is a little different in that regard. But uh, no, I, I think this is just uh, whoever is telling you that, that Nebraska has more potential than Tennessee, just ignore them because they're not very making very good analysis there. What do you? How do you think a Frank Solich Nebraska would have done in the Big Ten those first couple of years? Pretty good, I think. Pretty good. Uh, I can't remember what the Big Ten would have been like. What this uh, hypothetical Big Ten West would have been like in the early two thousands, but they would have done. They would have done pretty well. Yeah, I mean, Iowa. Iowa would have probably won those divisions. Wisconsin was still good, so it would have been tricky. But they were a good program. They probably at least sneak out one division title there. Right. Of course, I mean Polanyi did too that and then they lost by a billion to wisconsin but still uh tangentially related jeff burkhardt how would you format a g5 playoff number of team sites etc what are the biggest logistic hurdles 
logistical logistical hurdles preventing the G5 from doing this. I'm right completely now. ignoring this question because screw that, they belong in the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what I was going to say is, Jeff, thank you for your question because you were a frequent question asker, but uh, we don't want a G5 playoff. Nope. We want a playoff playoff. Yep. I want, even if it's just one team out of eight, you know, I want UCF to play Alabama in the 1-8. Yep. That's what I want. Or any other team that isn't UCF. Whatever. (laughs) Preferably. Okay, USC. Our friend Matt Berry asks, is Lynn Swan fired or super fired? Um, several of you just tweeted at me and wrote USC question mark. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and group all the USC questions together. Um, we closed the show last week talking about USC. (sighs) What do you think will happen at UC at USC? Hudson center asks, um, (laughs) what is a reasonable expectation for USC? Um, I, I look, I, you really do have to be under a rock because it touched so many weird parts of our culture with like <laughs> acad- like higher higher education, Ivy League schools, television, actresses, college sports. Like that story that, that broke on Tuesday, um, it just – it hit so many people that I think it was like you, you really couldn't hide from it. So uh, there's no need to recap it for the show. Um, USC was involved in it. They fired people already. Uh, in their athletic department. Um, I don't know if this necessarily cost Lynn Swan his job no. because one thing I can tell you about USC is that the only metric that you apply to USC is whatever USC's metric is. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty bespoke out there. Um, you know, yeah, they probably should have fired Clay Hilton and hired Cliff Kingsbury if that's what they wanted to do. Yeah. They wanted to be – no, I'm serious. If they wanted to be weird and bold or whatever, but like I don't know, man. This is just Yeah, this – I can't. I can't pin any of this. Maybe it's just it's not Lynn Swan's fault because this right. stuff is baked into the DNA of USC and a bunch of other schools. Clearly, um, yeah, totally. Like, Harvard yeah, I, I this wasn't the thing that came out about you know Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin and all that stuff. Like, I couldn't even because it was such a culture thing, because it was such a rich people thing. I couldn't even really think of it as a sports scandal. Obviously, it involved sports and ended up like you know some some a bunch of coaches had to resign. But it's not like those requests to uh, to classify this player as a long snapper or this player as a water polo, whatever. It's not like those went through Lin Swan's office or anything. Like this, I I I I don't think I could expect an athletic director to know this was going on, considering it was probably very specifically designed to not involve the freaking athletic director. Um, so I, I yeah, I can't I can't even pretend that this is a threat to Lin Swan's job to me anyway. Well, there is a hell of a lot more at stake when your coach goes five and seven and you don't replace well, him. Right? Yeah, that's a completely this. different. If we want to, if we want to criticize his football actions, that's one thing. But the stuff that came out with the the that was such a class scandal more than a sports scandal to me. This is what I know about USC. Um, we are all evaluating USC on terms that they don't acknowledge. All of us. <laughs> so when we think that they're losing a step against UCLA because they hired Chip Kelly or they're not getting enough attention in Los Angeles. What any of that stuff, right? That we've talked about. Those are our, those are our ideas about USC relative to like outside evaluation. USC is marching and has always marched to the beat of their own drum. And they're going to continue to do so. They hired Lynn Swan, which was an unorthodox move at the time. Um, 
I, I don't know if this really changes any of the rubric. Mm-mm. Um, and also like I, I don't expect a lot of fallout from this this no. weird thing that happened with the grades, at least in terms of big time college athletics. Now there's a lot of irony here, a lot of frustration on my part. Honestly, the more like the. As the day went on yesterday, it got less funny and you kind of really started to sit with it and think about it. And, um, you know, aside from the fact that this just robs a lot of deserving people from different socioeconomic backgrounds of of a chance to sort of succeed in the American dream and all that, this is just, man, it this is just sort of bad wealth personified. Yeah. No, like you know, how much money? Almost did they in spend? an apolitical way, too. How much money did they spend? For no reason other than status. Their kids didn't need to be financially set up by getting a good education at one of these schools. They were already mm-hmm. financially set up by the simple fact that their parents could afford to pay $500,000 or whatever to get to cheat on an application. Like this was just, this was a pure status move. And it, those are the, well, yeah, no, I'm not going to go down that road because those, those, that, that shit pisses me off bad. Uh, and again, it, clearly it's not a political thing. We know, we know what, where Felicity Huffman's political allegiances are, and they pretty much line up with mine probably if we were to go issue by issue, but to hell with her because that was, I mean, that that's it, it, anyway. It's anyway. really funny though, to see like the messaging when, you have the Will Wade situation at LSU and the general pre the preconceived notions about big time college athletics on the left and right coast. And, you know, in the blue cities, um, it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, I'll leave it at that. Like when you're around people, um, especially in like the Northeast who just don't come from the Ohio state or Texas or Florida or, you know, Alabama, ecosystems in college and they look at college athletics they they kind of wag their fingers about pay for play scandal and you know uh priorities being jacked up and this is the exact same place where people for years have been making big gaudy donations to get their dumb kids into school to preserve some sort of prestige around their family name so um yeah it's uh it, it was you know kind of bittersweet to laugh at it yesterday but um Pablo Torre put this, like, this was probably the most well-worded tweet of all the tweets that I read about this yesterday. He said, um, the rich parents of the worst teenage athletes paying off college coaches, a way bigger problem than college coaches paying off the parents of the best teenage athletes. It's a very, very good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, that's um, pretty much perfect. And, yeah, we've established a disproportionate amount of attention in the opposite direction. Yeah. So, um, I don't know why. It's... We're I mean, really I, hung. We're really I, hung up on. I, I got on, some theories as to why, but yes. yeah, race, uh, <laughs> economics, uh, a lot of stuff. It's it's just fascinating. It's fascinating to see how the media reacts to it. Um, I am so sick, by the way, of people pointing out that we're not clutching pearls like we used to. If the ne- the next person, the next colleague who does that, where they're like, "Wow, people don't even care about these scandals anymore." Well, no shit. <laughs> they keep happening, and we're all educated to the process at this point. That's why I wrote Bagman five years ago. Okay, this is not some new thing, and yeah, this one worked backwards in in, in a sort of <laughs> yeah. way. But like, is anyone surprised that rich people are doing shady rich people shit to make things? Yeah, the happen? only unique no. thing about this really was that it involved sports. It, got, it like merged worlds together yeah. in a way that they've never been merged before. But you break my heart, Aunt Becky. You break my heart. Man, I was so hoping she'd hijack that plane. 
No, no, that was that was the best part of it. Felicity Huffman has been arrested, but Lori Laughlin's on the lam. Like, well, no, she, they said she's expected to surrender. A, she's yeah, she on did. a plane she back to one. L.A. Yeah, yeah, she's expected to surrender to authorities. And I'm like, or, or <laughs> that American Airlines flight lands in Venezuela. <laughs> I've seen movies. Be the role of a lifetime. Um, all right, Bill, let's clean it up. Do we have any more questions before we get out of here? I don't really see us uh, topping that one to finish with. Um, no programming notes for the time being. We are calm, consistent. Uh, I am Until about to next head... week. Oh wait, you do have a thing next week. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Uh, so we might be recording a little bit early. Yes, but you guys will get it probably about the same time. So yes. keep your ass PAPNs coming. Uh, Bill, where are we marching to next in the previews? Sunbelt, baby. Yeah, because it was uh, better than Conference USA on the field last year. Beautiful. I love the symmetry being able to step from one side of our, our grand 2014 plan to the other. Um, I will be going out on the road soon. Bill will be going out on the road soon. Um, I am getting a later and later start on these spring visits just because of the, it's weird because there's a, like we've already had some spring games. Yeah. Um, shout out to, I think Duke and army Arizona, always does Arizona theirs State. early. Arizona state was another. Yeah. Well, and you know, of course that makes sense with the weather yeah. armies is because of training, uh, not football training, but you know, pew pew training um in the spring they go through i can't remember all the different stuff but i don't know the plebes will tell you um and then i think army and navy follow that schedule duke finished up which is i thought was a little weird because very cold durham um yeah they always do that it's odd it's a way of doing it it's something Um, it's something about wanting them to be in shape and then having a longer off-season period for work i don't know whatever it makes sense whatever it all makes sense uh, yeah no i can see that argument in that you've you've got them as as close to football shape after the bowl because now duke consistently goes to bowls yeah so you get them in and and you don't have that much of a lack and lag and then after spring you get a longer uh uninterrupted streak of just the strength and conditioning program so i I, you know i get that in duke's case especially because duke's gonna be the last place where people are worried about like being around the kids so they don't get in trouble. <laughs> Tune in next week to PAPN, in which we discuss five Duke players getting arrested. Powers. 